Amen. Thanks, Katie. Appreciate you. Well, hey, everybody. My name is Brian Rogers. If for whatever reason I have not met you, I am the student pastor here. Uh, I just want to say hi to all of our fifth through eighth graders that are usually back there with us, but are in here with us today. Uh, it's awesome having you here. I'm so sorry I do not have donuts for you. Uh, you can fight me later if you need to. Um, so I have this special honor and privilege of finishing up our disqualified series. And uh, I, I think there's probably no other person more qualified to finish a disqualified series. Um, and here, here's the thing. If I were to ask you what, what church ministry is most likely to disqualify themselves in some capacity, uh, well, not just at North Star, but in the church at large, I, I would imagine most people would say the student ministry, right? Like that's, those are the people that are going to do something crazy. In fact, there's an entire podcast dedicated to telling the stories of youth ministries that have done just crazy stuff or, or just failed miserably. Um, and, and so I am excited to get to share, and I wish I could say I do not have any of those stories myself, um, but unfortunately I do. And so I, I wanted to open with one of those. Uh, when I first started here in 2004, so it's been a very long time since I've been on staff here, um, I just had come out of college and uh, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. Uh, not that I really know now, but I certainly didn't know then. And I remember uh, talking to some friends about like different game ideas. I had no idea what I was trying to do. Uh, and somebody had told me about this thing called the Cinnamon Challenge. Now, everyone in the room knows about it now because you're familiar with this thing called YouTube. Uh, for those of you that are unaware, YouTube launched in de December of 2015, and so it didn't exist when I started in ministry. It would have been very helpful for me to have known what was happening, um, but I, I decided, you know what, this sounds like it would be really funny, and so I was going to give it a go. I had about seven middle school students that were in my student ministry at that point. Uh, we were meeting in the back of somebody's house. It was about a five-minute walk because uh, they had a huge property uh, back to the house, and that's important uh, later. Um, and I thought it would be fun to line up four of our seven students and, and offer them a prize if they were able to get down a spoonful of cinnamon. Um, so I'm brand new in ministry. I don't have a real budget. Uh, I'm also brand new in ministry, so I have no actual money of my own, really. Uh, and so I took $10, uh, which was probably the last $10 to my name at that point, and I put it on the line. I was like, hey, $10 to anyone who can swallow this thing of cinnamon. And because I didn't have a lot of money and I didn't want to actually lose my $10, I really like heaped them on the spoon. Like they were big things. Uh, and we had like sixth and seventh grade students that were doing this. So like very tiny mouths and uh, very small humans. Uh, and, but they're ready. They're, they're going for it. Uh, and so they, they line up and I go, okay, one, two, three. And I make it a race, which makes it even worse. And so they all go in at the same time. And you see them like, and then down the line, it's like, just clouds of cinnamon, and I'm laughing, and it's hilarious, and the three other kids are laughing, and it's hilarious for about two seconds, because quickly after that, they're just like, water, water, and they cannot breathe, uh, and we're five minutes away from water or the house or anything. One starts to throw up. Uh, that causes the other one to throw up on somebody else, I think one of the elder's kids. Like, it was a mess. 
The whole thing was terrible. And in that moment, I thought, wow, uh, I may be in this student ministry thing for a very short window of my life. Uh, And thankfully, uh, the elders were incredibly gracious, incredibly merciful, uh, especially that elder who uh, got their daughter thrown up on. Uh, And I praise God that I, even though uh, in a lot of eyes may have disqualified myself, I had the ability to continue in ministry. And, and, and here's the thing. I think a lot of us, when we look externally, like we, we're, we're really good at noticing and recognizing when we've done something that might disqualify us and may, maybe we're not super comfortable with that. Uh, but I feel like in the church, we have a different issue. In the church, we're really good at recognizing when other people should be disqualified. We're really good at looking at when other people receive grace and mercy and generosity, and we're like, well, they didn't really deserve it. Why did they get it? I really should get this. And we see that, and it it becomes this ugly thing that resides inside of us, and and God is aware of that. He knows us. He knows our hearts, uh, and he knows that we're going to continue to wrestle with this question. And that question is, is God unfair? Is God unfair? It's something that I have wrestled with my entire life. It's something that I will wrestle with probably for the rest of my life. But he addresses this, thankfully. He gives us an opportunity to navigate it as we look into scripture. And he says this in Matthew 20. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into the vineyard for the day. And so you have this landowner, and by the way, Jesus would often speak and share through parables. So he would share this story uh, about a, a hypothetical landowner, uh, but we're, we're led to believe now that it is obviously, uh, that's obviously God, right? That, that's what the parable is reflecting. Uh, but he hires these workers. He invites them into the field, and he says, I'm going to pay you a fair wage, And one denarius, it sounds like not a lot of money to us right now, but about $50, uh, give or take, and it's pretty accurate to what a fair wage would have been at that point. And so the worker throughout the day, or the landowner throughout the day, goes out and hires new workers. So he goes out and uh, at different points throughout the day brings in all these different workers to work in the field, some of them only working about one hour. And it goes on and it says this, it says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. And so he starts paying those who had only been there about an hour. And it goes on, it says, when those who were hired at about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed that they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us, who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. So is this fair? Is the landowner being fair? He's paying them what he said he was going to pay them. So, so in that regard, he's, he's good to his word. But, but the reality is, in, in my experience uh, with math, which, as you might know as a youth pastor, is not that great, however... I can do the simple math of one hour versus eight hours for the same pay is not a great hourly rate. And so 
to some degree, you have to understand how these workers were feeling. They're like, wait a second. This guy just came and like hung out for like an hour and he's getting paid the same as me who just did eight hours of work? Like, I'm sweating, I'm just miserable, and you're paying him the same amount? That's, that's brutal. But it goes on, it says this. This is his reply. He replied to one of them. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what is yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. And here's what I, where I want it to land. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? Church, I think sometimes we can, we can become jealous at the generosity of God when the generosity of God lands on somebody other than us. I know for myself, that's the case. I know I don't always understand it, and I know sometimes it leaves me in a place where I'm confused and a little bit heartbroken. I wanted to invite up my good friend Rusty to share a story uh, in the midst of this. Yeah. So keeping in mind that passage you just read, it'll be up there. In my 20s, I maybe, like some of you, made this, I had this love for Jesus, and I said, man, I wanna do, use me any way you want. And that manifested over a period of time of, of going overseas and uh, being a missionary in another part of the world. There I met my wife. I mean, it was a great time of life. Came back after a couple of years to Chicago, worked in the home office of this organization. And I, my heart was just spilling over, particularly in those days, still today, but to those days, I wanted to see revival, awakening happen in my heart and in the church, in this mission, which needed it. And so as a result of uh, that, I started this little prayer meeting on a Tuesday, morning, or Tuesday at noon, Thursday at noon, and I would talk to the staff and I'd be down there praying. And I don't know what it was, but something was just growing in me that this is gonna be. I, th I can't say the Lord told me, pray for this and it will happen, but I had that kind of a, hmm, stay at it. So on Tuesdays and on Thursdays, we would pray, just me and a, and a few others. And over two or three years, we began to see something move in our organization, about 100 people. Things were uh, stirring up. You know, we saw things in the church that I went to, too. There was kind of a, a, a movement of God happening in the Vineyard Church that I was going to in Chicago. And I had heard also across the country, there were little pockets of movements of God. My expectations were rising, it began to crescendo. And I, in, those little more, in those little meetings, I would be praying and praying. And, and we were starting to see staff members move to that end as well. So as was my practice early in the morning, I got up and would pray by myself. And because I read it in some missionary biography, some preacher who was well used of God used to find a broom closet, open the door and kneel down in the broom closet and pray. And uh, I, I kind of thought maybe there was something holy about that. So I got up early and I went to the building, I went to the mission organization, I found this little broom closet back in the back near a gymnasium. And for, for a couple of years, I would get in there and I'd close and I would cry out. I would say, you know, I didn't really hope nobody would ever hear me, but I was praying. And in that time, I was so grateful, God, 
there is something moving on this staff. I can't wait to get to church. There's something else happening. What is going on? I, my heart was just pounding. I was so grateful, thanking God, particularly for this one young guy who had no interest in prayer before. And now he has, he's praying with me every, every week. And as I'm praying, thanking God for all this, I hear very distinctly the way the Lord speaks to me in my heart. The Lord say to me, um, it's time to go, Russ. And I knew instinctively on my inside, my assignment was changing. And, but I did not want it to change. What are you talking about? I said, Lord, what is that? What do you mean? It's time, time, to, time to go. I mean, things are just getting off the ground. I mean, this is exciting what's going on here. You are really doing a good job, I'd say. And um, he went on to say, uh, well, I went on to say to him, but Lord, I've been praying for like two three years. You remember? It was just you and me in this, in, this, in this room. Just going after it, going after it. And then the way he speaks to me, he said, Russ, that's how, I don't know if he actually said that, but that's how I took it. Russ, when this thing happens the way I want it to happen, they're going to, those who are around are going to f- forget that you are even a part of it. And my heart went, oh, oh that kind of hurts. That kind of hurts. Because I recognized that I'd been praying and hoping and seeing things happen, thinking, this is going to be there, and I'm going to see it go through. And in fact, he was saying, no, it's time for you to go over here. I prayed more, and I felt as if the Lord said, it's, it's about me, right, Russ? It's about me. Before that Michael W. Smith song came out, it's all about you. you know, it's a, I was singing it to myself a little bit. No. And so in so doing, in, in the next four weeks' time, various things changed in my life, and I found myself out of Chicago and back to Cincinnati and in working in different things. I am so glad we came to Cincinnati. It's so many amazing things have happened. But right at the crescendo of things God was doing there, that's when I got taken out. And this young guy who didn't even know how to pray, he's the guy leading the effort and the whole amazing change in the organization. And he's the one who's getting the credit for it. <laughs> I'm happy he is now. I, I, I'm over that. I, I, I prayed that through. <laughs> over that. But um, God, are you sure? You know, are you sure? That doesn't seem fair. Um, you don't seem fully over it. We have prayer time later. Um, can navigate that a bit. Um, so here, here's the thing. Is, is God fair? Is he fair? Um, if this was the only time that this question was going to be wrestled uh, all throughout Scripture, I'd say maybe we have a past. Maybe we don't have to worry about it that much. But it actually comes up time and time again couple of examples. One, when you look at the story of the prodigal son, uh, most of you guys, if you've ever been in the church, have heard this story. Uh, But the quick version is this younger son decides he's done living with the father, living under the reign of the father. He's ready. He's going to take his inheritance. He takes it and he goes and he goes completely crazy and wild. Just wild living, squanders all of his money, everything that the father had given to him to the point where he's in a destitute and problematic place where he can't even eat. And then he comes home to the father and the father, instead of looking at him and like being, what did you do? I already gave you your inheritance. You squandered it. Good luck. 
Instead, the father runs out to him and embraces him and welcomes him home. And we see that in contrast to what happened with the older brother. The older brother sat at home. We don't hear a ton, but he, he probably kept the commands of his father. He, he spent time with his father. He connected with the father. And he did the things that were required of him as the son. And his response to the younger brother coming home and having a giant party thrown for him was that of anger and frustration. Because he saw it and to him it was not fair. And I would contest that it was not fair. If we're looking at fairness in the way that you and I would typically look at fairness. Another place that you see it probably in an even greater sense is at the cross. When Jesus is on the cross, he hangs between two thieves. One of those thieves who, uh, we don't know a ton about his life, but he, he found himself in a place where he was being crucified, so he probably was not the guy that you were gonna invite to your youth group to come speak. Like, he was living a life that led to a place of him being killed for the stuff that he was doing. Where Jesus is up there going to be killed for absolutely nothing in terms of wrongdoing, the thief was up there in a very just fashion. It was fair. And, and Jesus, in that moment, uh, upon interacting with those thieves, tells that thief, because of his response to Jesus, that he was surely going to be with him in heaven that day. It's one of the most unfair parts of the entirety of Scripture. The ministry of that thief was terrible. He made no disciples. He did no work. He did nothing but look at the king and say, okay, yes, I'm in. If he were one of the workers in the vineyard, it'd be like as if he were walking by and he just waved and acknowledged the landowner and the landowner's here you go, man, here's the denarius. <laughs> like it's not fair at all. And yet it's exactly what God does. And so we have to ask the question, is God unfair? And I would say, yes, God is completely and utterly unfair. But only if we, the aim of the Father is to repay us for the work we have done. If that's what he's trying to do, if what God is trying to do is to just repay us for the work that, that we've done, then yes, he is completely and utterly unfair. And I would say even more so because what we get in the end is actually not what we deserve. The grace that we get from the work of the cross is not what we deserve, and yet that's how he repays us anyway. The goal of the Father is not to pay us what we're worth. The goal of the Father is to reconcile us to him. That is the goal. That is the only thing he has ever been concerned about. All throughout human history, from the moment of the garden where we turned our back on God to the moment of the cross where he said that it is finished, every piece and fiber of what he has done in this world is to reconcile and bring people to himself. That is what he is doing. And so when I'm looking out and I'm seeing other people and I'm, I'm looking at the work that I'm doing versus the work that they're doing, I need to be celebrating that work. 
I need to be excited that Jesus is willing to die even for that thief on the cross who had no deserving bone in his body. And yet, I, like, I don't know if I get to hang out with that dude in heaven, but I hope so. Because I want to hear that dude's story. Like, talk about a guy who, like, is going to be so worshipful and thankful in heaven. Because he has no rights to eternity. And yet, he found it in the person of Jesus. The beauty is, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have to let that resonate in our hearts. If, if we think that in any way there is something that we are doing, then we're going to become prideful and arrogant, and it's going to become about us. And here's how this story flips. When we understand that it's not about us, that it's the work of the cross, that it's the work of Jesus in us, and we are the vineyard workers. We're working in the field, and we're laboring, and it's hard. Here, here's, here's the reality. I've been in ministry 19 years. It is hard. I have had a lot of bumps, a lot of bruises. I've had a lot of sweaty days. I, I have had a lot of things that are just brutally hard for my family, for myself, relationally. I, I've seen students walk away from Jesus and it breaks my heart every time. I have seen really hard stuff. And it is sometimes brutally hard, but it is so good. I always wanna look back and see that God gave me the ability to be in the vineyard working on his team. I want that to be my heart. I want that to be my mentality. I don't wanna say, God, thank you so much for what you've done, and also, I need, this, I need more blessing, I need more of this, I need more of this. I don't wanna make it about me. I wanna make it about the king. And I can only imagine that if had those vineyard workers understood that they were working for the king in that scenario, in that story, how that might have shifted things, how that might have changed things. And sadly, I'm not always good at this. I've not always done this well. It was about six, seven years ago. Um, I was in my old house, laying in my bed, scrolling through Instagram. None of you have experienced that in your life, that like, I really should be sleeping, but instead I'll spend seven hours doing this. Um, <clears throat> And my Instagram is uh, a combination of uh, like hip hop and sneakers and student ministry stuff and board games. Uh, it's, it's a weird place. Um, but as I'm scrolling through and I see, uh, I, I see posts from different student ministries at that point, I remember seeing them and seeing these events that they were putting on and uh, they looked incredibly successful, like wildly successful beyond anything that in my brain and in my heart at that point they should have been. Because I, I knew the youth pastors that were a part of that and I'm like, they're, they're not better at this than me. They shouldn't be having the success that they're having. And, and I'm judging the fruit that they're experiencing and I'm not celebrating the fruit that they're experiencing, but I'm looking at it and, and I'm like, oh, you know, this is gonna fall apart and I'm making up all these different things in my brain and God stopped me in that moment. And it was one of the most poignant moments of repentance that God has ever called me to because in that moment, he was like, Brian, you should be celebrating what I'm doing in the lives of these youth pastors. And, and here's the thing that makes it even uglier. Like, when I say I knew these youth pastors, like, I really knew these youth pastors. Like, I, I would have lunch with these youth pastors. I'd spend time with these youth pastors. Like, 
in their eyes, I was an advocate for them. And yet, when I saw the stuff that was happening, I wanted that for myself. I wanted the glory that they were experiencing, the fruit they were experiencing, I wanted that to be mine. And in an even more dangerous way, I felt like I deserved it more than they did. And so it was in that moment that I, that I spent some time praying and my heart shifted. And it wasn't overnight, but the one thing I felt like God put on my heart to do was to continually pray for those ministries, to continually pray for those other youth pastors. And what it did is it, it changed my heart. My heart went from covetousness to a desire for the kingdom to grow and to move in a way that I had not seen it move before. And I didn't care how successful I was, I cared how successful the kingdom was. And that changes everything. Fast forward to last weekend, uh, we've been doing this thing called United for the last uh, few years now, where a bunch of churches get together. I look at this picture, I only recognize like a handful, 15, 20 of the students. It's because we get together with churches from all over the city and we worship together. Uh, and, and this thing called United has since spread. There's actually two that have started up in Georgia. And the hope is that it would happen in an even wider uh, way than it has so far. And, and this doesn't happen if I continue to, to look at what other people are doing and, and, and judge what God is doing in the midst of their lives. I genuinely have a hope and a desire to see the kingdom of God come in amazing ways. And what's beautiful is I get to see that in ways that I never would have through things like this. And, and what's even more beautiful, it has nothing to do with me. Because I'm not talented enough to put something like this together. I'm not good enough to do something like this. And God still chooses to do it. Because here's the crazy thing, those vineyard workers, as they're in the fields, the crazy thing is the work that they're doing is not even their own. The work that you do for the kingdom is not yours. The growth that happens is not your doing. The pruning that happens is not your doing. God is doing it. He's allowing us to step in step with him and be a part of what's happening. And so, with that in mind, I wanted to spend a little bit of time, I know we did this a little bit earlier, but I think it's good to stop and to pause and to reflect. Because I know at least in my life, it was a moment of stillness where I was able to sit and reflect and be convicted of my own sin and my own brokenness. And so may, maybe you have bitterness in your heart, maybe you see the, what other people are getting and you're like, that's not fair, that should be me, that should be mine. Maybe you're more the younger brother. Maybe you've taken everything and you feel like you've squandered it. Maybe you've run away and you yourself feel disqualified. And if that's the case, there is a God who is running after your heart that has been running after you that desires nothing more than reconciliation to you. If the band would come back up, that'd be great. Because here's what we're gonna do. I wanna read a couple of statements and, and see if any of these resonate. Do you find yourself with a heart that is more often bitter than thankful? Do you find yourself more often angry than loving? Do you find yourself more often pointing out the flaws of others than kindly calling out life? Are you restless with everything around you or do you exhibit peace? I know in that season of my life, 
I was the poor side of those equations. I was bitter, I was jealous, I was judgmental. But the beautiful thing is, the king that we serve desires so much more and calls us to so much more. So God, I pray that you would take this space here, just a couple of minutes, and God, that you would bring to the surface the stuff that maybe not uh, be pointing towards the kingdom. God, that we would wrestle with this question of whether you are trustworthy, whether you're good, whether you're fair. And God, I pray that you would speak into that and make us aware that while it's not human fairness, you are fair and good. transition into a time of prayer and uh, communion. So if the prayer teams want to come up, come on up. There's no better way to reflect on and to repent of our brokenness than communion. It's, it's remembering the work of the cross, what Jesus has done. It's remembering his death, his burial, and his resurrection. 
cracker representing his body broken for you, the juice, his blood. And the goal of communion is always that we would go to it and it's not just taking a very not so tasty cracker and juice. The goal is that we would think of and remember what Jesus has done and why we're actually here. So that is my hope, my prayer as we do that. And then I will come up and close in a few minutes. So Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you that you didn't hold us to a standard of human fairness. That you went to the cross willingly. That you died and took the payment that we actually deserved upon yourself. And God, I pray that you would move in a way that only you can move and move us closer and closer to your kingdom. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.